0: And right churches here on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pray. Father, on your Lord's Day, we need you. We need you to help us. Um, Lord, we need you mostly to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from our sin, even even the hidden sins, the ones that just go on inside of our hearts that others do not see, you you see them, and only your blood can cleanse them. And I I thank you for the blood of Christ. I thank you for the Spirit who is working to uh, transform us to be like Christ. And I pray, Father, that you might help this church grow in Christ and help us to be more and more who you want us to be in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, so we're we're switching gears. We're into chapter 12. Spiritual gifts. And I just wanted the first question I want to just ask you or what are some biblical images? Oh, boy. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Can I go yet? Did you not hear the echo? Okay, good. (laughs) Um, So what are the biblical images, you know, just throw off a couple or two or three, four, how many you can come up with. What are images that the Bible uses for the church? Body, what would you say, uh, Howard? So Israel, and therefore a nation. Bride. Well, so like an image for the church is Israel, like, uh, like the whole nation and how the nation functions is actually, is an image. I think you're right on, Howard, that it's an image of the church as a people, not just a scattered group, you know, uh, but yes, go ahead, what else, bride? No, 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 just biblical, biblical images that we use to help understand what the church is. Okay, so the priesthood of all believers. Okay, um, I would have thought you'd said temple. So, uh, so it's a it's a building constructed a temple. Um, that's pretty good. I mean, you can. Well, yeah, that comes back with like uh, Israel, but it's it's the uh, it's a city. So it's the new Jerusalem. So the old Jerusalem would be the image, and the new Jerusalem would be the reality. But yeah, okay, good. Well, primarily today we're going to talk about the body. That's that's the image that we're going to focus on, that the church is the body of Christ. And the reason why we're going to talk about the body is that all of the body parts have a function, they all have a purpose um and a lot of times people ask the question how do i fit into the church like what is my role and I, and it's a far bigger struggle than what we often admit um, some roles are pretty clear you're a pastor you know that you know that's defined you know pretty clear in Scripture. But if you're just a member of the church, and I don't mean just a member, I just, in contrast to some like official office, um, you're a member of the church, it's often difficult to know what your place is. How do you fit in? And uh, Paul wants to use this image of a body to help the, the Corinthians understand every member has a role a purpose and he's going to, chapters 12 all the way through chapter 14 are going to deal with the question of spiritual gifts okay and so it's three whole chapters that he devotes to this that's a long time to be talking about the issue of spiritual gifts The the reason for spiritual gifts, big picture, is so that the body is able to function as a unit, as a whole. That's what God wants. Now, when we talk about the body of Christ, I think this is just a me meandering, uh, just setting up for us to go through the passage. When Jesus talks about the body of Christ, there's only one body. And that's the global church. So technically, if you're going to say that you're a part of the body and that the whole body is necessary, this would include all denominations that are true denominations, that are true churches. um, All across the whole earth, that's the one body of Christ. Across all of time. Across all of time. There you go. Great. So there's this one body of Christ. And so, uh, but that's that's beautiful to think about (laughs) but it's not really necessarily practical Uh, and Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church and it's a local church and he's telling those believers you're a part of the body of Christ right so this is the tension that I have in my mind so in some ways a local church should have a blend of gifts that reflects the body and everybody should have a role in that church to try to function to make that local church function but i do think you could step back and say that no local church could absolutely have all that the body of christ is supposed to have so that so that ultimately there could be different churches, b- very good churches, walking with God, doing what they're supposed to do, and yet they might not be quite the same as another church, and that's okay. Are you following that? So like, so if you if you just say, okay, this is what the church should. His big point message here. When it comes to the Spirit in His ministry, what's the most important thing? If you, if you are a spiritual person, you will say Jesus is Lord. If you are a spiritual person, you will say Jesus is Lord. So the gifts are gonna have a certain specific purpose, but the overall ministry of the Spirit is that he's helping you to bow to Jesus as Lord. Okay? So, I want to talk to you about spiritual things. What's the most important thing you need to know about spiritual things? Well, the Spirit is helping you to bow to Jesus. You're going to hear this in my sermon today. The Spirit is far more concerned about bringing me into submission to Christ than I am. And praise God for that. So what happens a lot of times is I think that you can, you can make this topic of spiritual gifts like it's the whole discussion of spiritual things. And it's not. Has a place, has an importance. but you want to know what the most important thing that the Spirit's doing is helping you to bow to Christ. Um, we'll talk about this more later, but it's the difference between spiritual gifts. And spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit is making you more like Christ. Spiritual gift is going to be something that Christ gives you to serve the body of Christ. They're two different things. The fruit part is bigger. Yeah, fruit would be here. Yeah. Bringing you to make Jesus Lord. Yes. And I know we'll get into all these details as we go along, but I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit, but Satan and the spiritual forces of evil can, at times, under God's sovereignty, emulate spiritual gifts. Satan will never emulate spiritual fruit. Understand the difference there. Satan's primary thing is to keep you from bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, um, so this is just very important as we deal with all this. Just a question. Yes, go ahead. Wait, wait, here, Mike's going to bring that to you, and then it's going to be your job to take the next person. Yes, sir. <laughs> soul, um, which is akin to God and serves as his instrument or organ. So I'm curious about that because in verse 2 it says, you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols in one respect, and that idols are not rational, they're not, or even being carried away to them is not
1: a rational thought, what was rational was to uh,
0: go to God. Okay, so I would take dumb there as not necessarily stupid as much as uh, unspeaking, they're mute. That that's the way I would take uh, mute. So, uh, but understand here. So, you could you could imagine. So I'm going to talk with somebody in the community who uh, maybe is not reformed, maybe very different than me, um, have lots of different ideas. And what's the number one thing I want to find out about them? To know if we're actually have union with one another. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. That's the number one thing. Are you are you sincere in wanting to put all your faith in Jesus, and are you sincere in wanting Him to be Lord over you? You know, that's that's the number one thing that trumps everything else because that's the main thing. Okay, we want to keep the main things, the main things. Um. So uh, if if they're not trusting in Christ alone, and they're or they're not. Um, uh, Wanting God to be Lord of their lives, then there's a lot of, we're, we're at odds, right? Because those are, we're kind of working against one another. How can light and darkness have um, unity with one another? Okay, uh, another thing with background. Everything with the pouring out of the Spirit has to do with. Pentecost. So we are in the age of the Spirit. Okay. And we're going to read here from Joel and Acts in just a moment. But the age of the Spirit is the visible manifestation of the Spirit to the church. That's where where we are in our age. In other words, the age of the Spirit was not here. This is preparation. Leading us to that. And the age of the Spirit is visible manifestation of the Spirit is poured out here because it's poured out after Christ's uh, death and resurrection and his ascension to the throne of God, and therefore he pours out the Spirit in response to his uh, being exalted. Okay. Yes, Jim.
1: (laughs) Wait. No.
0: Now it's up to Jim. You got the next one, Jim. But was not the Holy Spirit present prior to there, during the preparation phase, at times in a limited, temporary way? Okay, so yeah, everybody's like, "What? It's limited, temporary, all that kind of stuff." Now, I'm gonna try to, I'm I'm gonna try to uh, tweak the way we understand about the Old Testament in terms of the gifts of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the gifts of the Spirit are poured out on kings, priests, prophets. Judges and judges, judges, um, you know, and it, it's free to do. The spirit can do what he wants to do, uh, but you see that in large part, prophets, priests, and kings, uh, judges. Um, it's it's a it's you don't think of the gifts of the spirit being poured out on everybody. It's it's largely just these these offices that are pointing you to Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. But now that Jesus is exalted in heaven he's pouring it out on all of his people that's the point of this but i'm telling you that we are largely talking about gifts we are not talking about spirit working in fruit when we have this big transition between the two an old testament believer could only repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ if the Holy Spirit was working in him. And when they believed in a future Messiah, they were just as much united to Jesus Christ as you and I are united to Jesus Christ. That's what's so important. And I think people just like, oh, Old Testament, yeah, the Spirit's given out temporary just for a little bit, take it, leave it back and forth, you know. But the New Testament, you're, you're indwelt, can't ever leave you, that kind of thing. That is a wrong dichotomy in my opinion salvation the the essence of how a person is saved can never change if they could be saved without the holy spirit indwelling in them then what's the big deal of us having the holy spirit indwelling us the holy spirit is the author of our salvation he is the one who regenerates the heart he is the one that sanctifies he's the one that brings believers to repentance. All those kind of things. Same in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. I'm going to ask Danny this. Danny, did I say that strong enough? Wonderful. Huh? You can go a I can go a little harder. <laughs> um, but when it comes to gifts, not that wasn't the case in the Old Testament. All right, so turn to Joel chapter 2. We're just going to look at verses 27 to 29. We could, we could look at more than this, but that's all we're going to look at. Uh, Ken, you still got the Oh, Jim's got the mic, so you can read it, Jim. Go ahead.
1: Joel 2, 27 through 9?
0: 27 through 29, yep.
1: You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel,
0: and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall
1: never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. The great and awesome day of the Lord
0: comes. Oh, I'm sorry. That's good. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Now he's going Just stop. You're good. Uh. The, the, I'm cutting you off here because I'm just talking about the Spirit being poured out. The rest of the passage in Joel is talking about end-time judgment, which is important in other contexts, but right now it's, it's just the pouring out of the Spirit. So what do you notice here? Okay. Um, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. Is, is the pouring out of the Spirit the only way that God could show His people that he was in the midst of them. Think about Old Testament. What are the ways that God showed his people that he was in the midst of them? The cloud, pillar, right? The temple, the kind of glory, uh, the priesthood giving the blessing, you know, all kinds of things that, he, that were visible signs that he was present with them. Now, Joel is given, he's a, he's a prof, old, you know, prophet moving towards the end, when God's land has been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. You know, the the visible manifestation of God's presence is gone. And then God says, You're going to again know that I'm in the midst of you, that I am with you, that I am your God. My people shall never be put to shame. And what will happen at that time is that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And notice, when he says, pour out your Spirit on all flesh, he doesn't say things like, and you will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and you will produce the fruit of the Spirit, and these kind of things will happen, does he? What does he say? You'll prophesy, you'll you'll dream dreams, you'll have visions. Right? And it'll be on servants, slaves, women, men, pouring out the Spirit. Okay? Visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit proving that God has not rejected His people, but that He's with them. Now let's flip over to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> A little preface to you. Were the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit before the actual pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost? Trick question. Those of you who know the book of John pretty well. He breathed on them before the resurrection, Receive my spirit. So it's very clear that, uh, again, John's, uh, they even call it John's Pentecost. Uh, that he pours out on them before Pentecost. So the idea that people couldn't be filled with the spirit before Pentecost is, well, contradicted by John himself. Okay, so Acts chapter 2 um, Uh, We're going to read actually 1 through 21. So uh, why don't you give that to Howard and let Howard read that for us. 1 through 21 of Acts chapter 2.
1: They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speak. Utterly amazed, they said, "Are all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them, each of us, hears them in his own native language? Or, let's see, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia." Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Soon, however, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. In those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven in the heaven above and signs. of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the lord and everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved
0: <clears throat> okay so familiar passage but but i'm just going to try to bring out a, a few things one you've got jews but also proselytes which that means they're probably not a physical Jew, not a genetic Jew, but a Jew by conversion, right? And they're, they're coming from all over the world to worship in Jerusalem. Now they want to worship where? At the, At the temple, right? The temple is where they want to worship. The leadership of the temple has just crucified jesus christ okay the leadership of the temple is at this very moment in the process of being rejected by god it's going to take a generation the romans aren't going to destroy uh jerusalem and in the temple until 70 a.d but it is their refusal to to accept Jesus Christ is, is already begun. In fact, while Jesus uh, was teaching, there were some of those leaders in his in, in his ministry, he'd done some a miracle, and the leaders actually attributed the miracle that Jesus did to who? Beelzebub to Satan. And Jesus says, Every blasphemy against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Right? And, and I tell you, if you want to see weird things online, just type in blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see people have, there's some weird stuff out there of what, you know, uh, people mocking. I just said, you know, I hate the Holy Spirit. Am I never going to be saved? And I think God laughs. And, and at some point, he'll take someone who previously said they hated the Holy Spirit and redeem them. Because that's what God does. But, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Is for the Jews, not talking about individuals in our lives right now, but for the Jews, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was the rejection of God's pouring out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost on his church. Now follow this. All of these people coming into Jerusalem heard the message of the apostles in their own tongue. Is that right, but the Jews who were there at the temple, what did they hear? What unintelligible, unintelligible speech? Now just let your wheels kind of. If if the Spirit is being poured out. Such that everybody's going to hear the message. Why is it that the people that are most here, the, the leaders in, in Jerusalem and at the temple themselves, they can't hear a thing? You're just babbling. In Isaiah, when God is getting ready to bring his judgment upon Israel, destruction of the northern kingdom and destruction of the southern kingdom, Isaiah's prophesying those things. He says in Isaiah 28, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people. You understand what that is? So you, are so, you have so not listened to my prophets that I'm going to send you prophets that you can no longer even understand. I'm going to let prophets from other languages, other peoples come in. So when the Babylonians come in to conquer... You know, or the Assyrians come in to conquer. The people of Jerusalem are now hearing prophets in another person's tongue. And what does that mean? To hear a prophet not in your own tongue is a sign of God's judgment upon you. Very important. Because the reason why God sent the prophets was to call his people to repentance. So to send them a prophet that they can't understand is the worst of the worst. So here at Pentecost, at the very time that God is pouring out His Spirit to let His new church know that He is in the midst of them, He is doing that at the very moment that He is cutting out the temple itself. The temple will no longer be the the central place of worship because the leadership of Israel has rejected me. And now Christ resides not in a temple in Jerusalem. Where does he reside? In, the believers. in believers. And among the church. So it's not just individually as you, because I think individually he dwelled in David too. I think that as the church, as a whole, he's now in our midst. As we gather together as his body. And so he's telling the apostles, we have a new body here. Now, does that body include Jews? Absolutely, because most of the first believers are Jews. It does. So it's not, yeah, it's not like moving away from the Jewish people, but it's Jews who believe in Christ. Jews who reject Christ are now called the synagogue of Satan. Okay, um... Uh, Deuteronomy 28:49 also is a reflection of Isaiah 28. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. Again, this idea of not being able to understand the language is a sign of judgment. And I think that it definitely occurs when the Romans come in. Now they understood uh, Latin or Greek or whatever they spoke at that moment. but uh, But it's still a foreign language to them. And so I think that people miss, we take the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost as a reflection of, uh, uh, like, um, I'm indwelt by the Spirit, uh, which I'm not saying it doesn't say that, doesn't include that. But I think the bigger picture is that God is giving a visible manifestation that he is no longer dwelling at the temple with those uh, unbelieving Jews but he's now dwelling with his people who are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ who's resurrected. And he does that to give them, he gives them outward, visible signs to make that clear. A little bit different than the way you understand Pentecost. Now, uh, just to, this is just me, probably going down a rabbit trail. I shouldn't go down. But if this is Jerusalem, Pentecost occurs right here. Okay, this is Acts two. There are three more places in the Book of Acts that that emphatically state that when people received the Holy Spirit, they immediately spoke in tongues and prophesied. you know what those three other instances are, besides Danny? (laughs) (laughs) Samarians. Samaria. Why would the Samaritans have to understand that? Because the Jews who were here thought that the Samaritans were half-breeds. They weren't true jews and here in the book of acts when the gospel goes to the samaritans they get the spirit too so guess what the the church this one body okay this one body is not just that moment here but now it's bigger includes the samaritans What would you think if if there wasn't any signs of the Spirit being poured out to the Samaritans? Those who had the Spirit poured out on them might think, oh, yeah, we're the true guys. Those guys are less. They're second class. All right, what's the next one? Cornelius. Gentiles. And once you, go, once you go to here, you've done it all. You've ba- and again, when, when Cornelius' household believes, there is the pouring out of the Spirit, they're speaking in tongues. Again, why? To show that what happened here was not something that, different than what's happening here. They're all one body. And the reason why you need to know that, the way he, he demonstrates that is he gives this visible sign so that everybody can say, oh, and you can even see it in the book of Acts. Hey, how can we not baptize them? Because the same uh, expressions of, of the Holy Spirit are happening with them as happened with us at the beginning, so why can't we not baptize them? We're one people. There is one other. John's baptism this is very interesting because a lot of times John's baptism is pretty much equated with Christian baptism. In the book of Acts, it's very clear that John's baptism is not Christian baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance in preparation for the Messiah. Christian baptism is a a, uh, baptism believing that Jesus is the Messiah. It's a covenant sign and different than what was going on with John's. So when you have these people... I don't know exactly where they are, but they've, they've never heard about the Spirit being poured out. All they've heard was a pre-resurrection gospel. And they believe that, they believe John's testimony, but they had never gotten to where they um, uh, actually understood the, the one church Spirit being poured out. So I think it's Paul explains it to them, and then the Holy Spirit's poured out on them, just like in the other places, again, to show one church. This is the point of spiritual gifts, at least in terms of those miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues, prophesying dreams, those sorts of things. This is what's going on in the book of Acts. Okay. Um, Which, by the way, makes perfect sense that when Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, he wants people to understand it's one body. Spiritual gifts shouldn't be distinguishing us, Well, we're the ones that prophesy, or we're the ones that do this, distinguishing you from the rest of the body. That's the whole, the point of the spiritual gifts is to say that there's one body under Christ as the head. Questions or comments? Before we go back into 1 Corinthians 12. Well, isn't, that, isn't that what we we've, we've been seeing all along right the arrogance the divisions the the uh, attitude of I'm better than another portion of the body of Christ that's the issue that's going on now I hope your wheels are turning if we start saying, oh let's take any spiritual gift and you use the the experience of that spiritual gift to set you apart from the rest of the body? Is that why God gave spiritual gifts? No. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. First uh, Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Who's got the mic? Howard, let's pass that to, you can pass it to your wife if you want. Does she want to read? Okay. 1 Corinthians twelve, four
2: 4-11. Now there are varieties of gifts.
0: It was on. I thought it was on. Yeah.
2: Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of one body, though many, excuse me, of the body, (coughs) though many are one body, so it is with Christ.
0: That's good. You can stop there. Uh, Okay. All right, what is the same in every, every believer? What's the same? Spirit. One Spirit, okay? Um, what is different? Yes. The manifestations of that Spirit. And we're talking about visible manifestations. So think about this. We're not talking about the indwelling of the Spirit because in that sense, we would say the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is true in all of you. It's the same. So we're talking about visible manifestations of the Spirit Spiritual gifts that are for the building up of the one body. That's the point of this. Um, why are there a variety of manifestations? Why not give all the spiritual gifts to Nathan Graybill? Because each member of the body has to have a function. There you go. Is the whole body an eye? That's what he'll bring out, you know. Uh, It's like the fact that your eye can't turn the head, you know, like it's not the neck, means the eye is dependent on the neck, which is then dependent on the hand who picks something up. But if one person had all the spiritual gifts, would he need the rest of the body? Hmm. Yeah. So think about God's beauty and his wonder in this. He doesn't give you all the gifts because he wants you to be dependent on the rest of the body. It's like the Spirit of God is forcing us to get along. Forcing us to live with each other and to need each other he didn't want us to do that if he wanted you to be an isolated person often you know he would have said all right i'll just give all the gifts to nathan Graybill. go live on a mountain somewhere nathan you're great go ahead but that's not what he says nor should we expect it of ourselves if you are somewhat deficient in some giftedness is that a bad thing what's it supposed to tell you you need someone else, okay? This is what Paul's getting at, and this is why he's so upset with divisions. And again, you can see how this is, can be played out in a local church, but you can see how this is played out globally as well, right? I mean, uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't have divisions in the church because of falsehood and lies and stuff, but you also, you understand really how, Big a picture it is to think of the entire church functioning under the lordship of Christ as it's supposed to. I mean, that's it's almost unthinkable to think of it, us acting that way. But that's what... Geez. Is that why you think he lists the,
1: the Trinity in verse 5 and 4 and 5? He's got the different
0: parts, the Spirit, and the Lord, the God, mm. their unity. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yeah. I actually have written in my notes that, so I didn't bring that out, and I'm glad you picked it up. Yeah, circle, well, no, it's a reference to the Trinity. There's no division within the Trinity, and I think that's, the, uh, that's what he's getting at here. That's excellent. Now, what God has importioned are uh, both gifts and activities and ministries. So it's not just gifts that he's apportioned, he's also apportioned ministries. This is one of the reasons why I love the Pregnancy Care Center, because I think it actually brings together the larger portion of the church to serve in a particular ministry. Rather than every every little local congregation have their own Pregnancy Care Center, it makes sense that we would join hands and actually minister together. It's a ministry that's there. Okay, so um, that serves the larger church, and that's okay. Not every church is supposed to do everything, right? Just like not every person is supposed to do everything. <clears throat> he apportions these. <clears throat> uh, so a gift is an ability. OK, uh, like able to teach would be a, you know, a gift. OK, the activity is the work that you do. Like if you're able to teach, it would be the, the work would be the preparation of the, the lesson. That'd be the work. The ministry is the coordination of the activity and the giving of the name to the activities done. So the ministry of preaching or the, the ministry of care to those uh, in unwanted pregnancies or, you know, so you have a ministry. Yes, service is ministry. Yep. Varieties of service, which would be varieties of ministries, verse 5. Right? And then there's the variety of activities, the things that you're actually doing to carry out the ministry. So. <clears throat> Now here, in, in when he says there are a variety of gifts in verse 4, that's clearly charismata. And that's where we get the idea of charismatic. Um, and gift is a good translation because it is freely given and freely bestowed. You are not given the ability because you're better than the next person. You're not giving this, this uh, uh, ability because you've so- somehow achieved a certain memory level of holiness it's just god gives the ability as he, as he wills according to his sovereign free grace thank you john yeah
2: could you explain what the gift of discerning
0: of spirits yeah we're going to walk through each of them as we go along here we're not we're still Uh, I'm taking my time through all this just because I feel like there's so much confusion in the church on these issues. Uh, Sometimes people ask the difference, what's the difference between a gift and a personality trait or something that you've developed as you grow up or that you've honed as you've been trained. Um, Bottom line is it's really hard to make a difference practically between those two Uh, because we look at the sovereign grace of God as working even from childhood, even before you're converted. He's, he's working in you, and then it, it, it plays into um, being um, a spiritual gift. You know, I hope that I have the spiritual gift of teaching, um, but that, that started even before I was converted, I think, in what God was doing to prepare me to be the person that I am today. It's a spiritual gift. Uh, it, it melds with personality. It's traits. It's, it's training. It's all those kind of things, but from Paul's perspective, it is a spiritual gift for the church, that makes sense. Um, this, is why, this is why I could have the spiritual gift of teaching, and Danny could have the spiritual gift of teaching, and we could go about it differently, and that's okay. One of the things that pastors struggle with is they have a favorite preacher, and they want to be like that preacher, and you know, every preacher will, will tell you, eventually, you have to just be okay with who you are. Um, trust that God is working through you and your personality, and, and not that you can't learn from other people. But you can't really try to be somebody else. Um, so it's not wrong to develop your gift. We sent Danny and I to seminary because we want to develop our gift. You know, you might you might think I don't know if I got the spiritual gift of teaching, but I'm going to go teach in Sunday school, and after three years, you're like, this is not working. I can't do this. Or you might say, wow, this is really going good. You know, so it can be developed. It can be. All those kind of things. You can work on it, you can hone it, those sorts of things. Um, uh, the One other thing I want to bring out before we start going into the list, um, or maybe we'll do the list next week, we'll see. Um, there's There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all, uh, one thing that's true about every ministry, it takes energy. And this is why people quit doing ministry. <laughs> because they're, they're, they're worn out. They're, they're frustrated. They're tired. Uh, because every time you do ministry to build up the body of Christ, it's taking something from you. If it didn't take something from you, then everybody would do it. The fact of the matter is, people don't like that anymore, and so they quit. So... Um, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing, I'm just laying, laying it out, that it's not just you could have giftedness, but you also need power, you need energy. All these things need to happen for people to want to serve. So... Uh, one thing that I, I, th- I see happening, and I guess we'll get to the specific gifts next week, so sorry about that. But one thing I see happening all the time is that a person in the church will say, ah, I've got a vision for some ministry. Right? I don't know what it is. You know, uh, it's just. Hey, I think we should do a catechism for young kids. Or I think we should have a, a Bible uh, program in the church for young kids. And they say, that's a ministry that our church needs. And they get all excited about it and this vision for it. And then what happens? They can't find enough people who want to jump on to their vision to want to do it. Right? And so then they're frustrated at the church. And this happens all the time. Uh, It's hard to get people to have the same vision you have, to want to give to the same effort, to have the same spiritual gifts to make something happen. I think you just have to be patient. Uh, A lot of times deal with frustration Because the church is always functioning imperfectly. Um, So it's not wrong to have a vision for ministry, but I usually say a lot of times people say, hey, this is what the church needs to be doing. Why don't you do it? (laughs) And you're like, "Mm, that's not how it works. Uh, I'm happy with any vision that you guys have, as long as it's biblical vision, help people to grow in godliness, but you gotta put your, you gotta ante up as well. And then you've got to deal with the difficult challenge of trying to get other people on board with you so that you can actually see that ministry develop. And it's not easy. And that's just the way it is. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, <laughs> we'll deal with this more later, but it's probably good to, you know. A lot of churches want to just do, have like a spiritual gift survey. And then determine what your spiritual gifts are and plug people in. I'm not saying that's not bad, but Paul doesn't ever do that here. That's not his point. He's kind of like, okay, you have a spiritual gift. Just start getting serving, and you will organically uh, figure out what you're gifted at as you try to serve. And uh, in a small church like our own, the reality is, I bet anybody who's been here for 15 years has probably served in any number of ways that are outside of their giftedness just to make sure the church keeps going. And But through all that, you then figure out what is your giftedness, and primarily you want to try to serve within your giftedness. So, um, and, bear with one and bear with one another. Yeah, I, mean, I always think it's funny when somebody comes to me with sound issues. This is, we need to fix this. You tell me. I'm like... I'm like the last person you would want to come to with sound issues. Uh, I mean, I can try, but you're going to be like, he's not gifted in that area. So, um, But that's okay. We all do the best that we can. Um, all right, so next week we will get into the actual gifts that are laid out here. Uh, we, will, we will talk about them as best we can to try to describe them, what they were at that time. Um, <laughs> And uh, try to answer questions that you have. So, I mean, not just you. I'm sure everybody has questions on these same things. But, um, and I, and I, uh, Susan asked me the question: What is the gift of faith? Isn't that just salvation? <laughs> and that's one we'll we'll get into as well. It is not the same thing as salvation, but it, I think it is related to uh, salvation. So, okay. Um, Verse 8 is where we'll pick up then. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank You for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and union with Christ and um, Your wonderful ministry to us. Please help us to uh, use our giftedness for the common good, not to be arrogant or exalt ourselves above another, but to, to serve and to build up the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.